Hello, and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Football Statistics website. I'm joined again by my usual guests, Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. And we're pleased to be joined on our on this episode by Pog McGold's James Crew, making his return to the show after his uh, his last appearance in the summer when he promised <clears throat> promised he would pay a forfeit if Josh Cullen didn't leave Burnley, but we'll leave that to later. We're going to be discussing the two European Championship qualifiers in September against France and the Netherlands. Could we be witnessing the end of Stephen Kenny's time in charge? We'll get into it soon. Lads, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, how are you all doing? Yeah, well, well, good, Joe. Thanks, Joe. I was going to say it's good to be back, but I'm not sure it is, because I don't know what's coming. It is fall safe. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> How are things as you well? James, it won't be too bad, don't worry. Well, it might be bad enough. We'll see. Kick off. All right, let's uh, kick things off with the first of the double header on Thursday night. Ireland went to the Parc de France facing uh, one of the highest ranked sides in the world, probably one of the favourites for the European Championship in France. Some of the best players in the world lining up for Lidlow and some of the best players in the world also sitting on the bench for Lidlow. Look, we all went into this game not expecting to get anything out of it, but watching France play the, the way they play the game controlled everything about it. They controlled the tempo, they controlled where the ball went, they controlled the chances. I was listening to second captains and Ken Early described it as sheepdogs leading sheep around the pitch. But I have to say, actually, what what I thought of when I watched it was when Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor in a boxing match, and Mayweather marched him around the ring, put him where he wanted to stand, and then he hit him. And that's kind of what France did to us for a lot of that game. You know, there was no great surprise when the French took the lead after only 19 minutes with a, a goal from Chomeny, and it probably won't surprise too many observers of Stephen Kenny's Ireland team that the goal came from a long-range shot from just outside the right-hand side of our penalty area. When I look back at the replay of the goal, what struck me was that three of the defenders were lined up almost in a straight line. It gave Chalmany a clear clear line of sight to the far post. Basically, he had one shot to take. He didn't have to think about it. All he did was get it on target, which he did, and he scored. And it was a great goal, and I'm not going to, to dispute that. Mark, when you saw the, the starting lineup, did you think that the manager had a plan in mind or to combat the French starting eleven? <coughs> Joe, I was in Vienna last week watching this match, and uh, had one eye on the Austria-Moldova game, and we can talk about that a little bit later on because we're probably talking about head coaches here. But um, I think from a... Ireland perspective, I thought it was good to see Shane Duffy back anyway. Find a bit of leadership, you know, prowess in the air. Josh Cullen, Jason Malumby, Alan Brown, Knight, Egan. The regulars, the, the ever presence were there anyway. So I think, you know, with Obene there and I, Ido up front, I think the, the gauntlet was pretty much set from an early stage here. Tried to be defensively compact, but Joe, to be perfectly fair, look, that French side in the squad. They're just an amazing team. The work rate was there from Ireland, but look, uh, I think you have to just admit here that the side, France, were just completely too good for us on the, the night, really. And I mean, it was probably damaged limitations, you know. That first 10 minutes particularly was a pretty nervy um, affair. But I think we kind of settled down until the first opening goal, really. But I think, to be fair to the guys, they tried as hard as they could. But look, um, I think Cask really told in the end. I saw a stat that uh, French starting 11 had more Champions League appearances than the Ireland start 11 had Premier League experiences, which, which goes a long way to display the, the sheer gulf in class between the two teams. Phil, as the first half progressed and we went in 1-0 down at half time, I think the overwhelming response was, well, it could be a lot worse. But if the long-range strike from outside the goal is a, a stereotypical goal conceded by... Stephen Kenny's team then the other stereotype is a goal conceded soon after half time and through the form Marcus Turam of Inter Milan stepped up uh, three minutes after the second half had started to score the, set, the game's second and somehow final goal to put the French two up and there was just a you know a sense of inevitability about it all really we were struggling to get out of our own half we were struggling to retain possession of the ball 
we were just weren't creating chances at all. At 2-0, we were all thinking that this could end badly. It didn't, but was there anything that could have been done to at least make it competitive? Once it went 2-0, no. I think, like we discussed it on the last pod, that France away is a shot to nothing for most teams. The only disappointing thing about the game is that they gutted us the way everyone else has gutted us. They didn't go out and spectacularly hammer us 5-0 by playing through us or whatever, or like absolutely dissecting us. They gutted us like every other team has with a pop from outside the box and they started better off in the second half than we did, like like usually the opposition does. Like Chumeni's goal was unbelievable, but he tried a shot about four minutes before that. I'm not sure who it was. I think it was Collins that, that blocked it nearly straight away, but he had a sighter. So you can see it was in their in their game plan. It's the same as a free kick. You know, a free kick is can, a direct free kick that goes into the top corner is a wonderful goal, but it can still be stopped at the point of you don't make a silly tackle outside the box. So the question is, why are we still giving up that room? Obviously, they're a much better team and they'll make the room, but there was so much room from the start again. And then to come out in the second half and just not hold it together for more than 10 minutes was disappointing. Again, the result on a whole was expected, so you can't be too critical. It was just disappointing the way the two goals we conceded came about because it's just they're just so familiar. Um, and once it went 2-0, France, France don't go after teams that much. Like we've seen it. They kind of declare because they don't want to get injured. They don't need to waste any energy. They don't feel like they need to. So it was nearly like France and Ireland were, you know, France whispered in Ireland's ear and they said, if, you know, we both start playing, we both go through. But that's not the case for Ireland because that's what it looked like. It looked like a training game for most of the second half. Again, the result totally expected. No one's meant to go out there and win. No one's meant to go out there and really get a draw. The team is unbelievable. But it, the, the disappointing thing was just that we fell to the usual weapons. That was the only disappointing thing. James, I'm going to come to you next. Something that we've discussed on the pod a couple of times is that Stephen Kenny reacts too late to changes in the game. Now, against France, he did bring on James McLean for Andy Stevens at halftime when Stevens was struggling very much against the width on the coming from the French right. But it, it, it was the 67th minute before we saw another substitution made. I mean, France are, the, are one of the best teams in the world. And look, looking down through our bench, you know, the, you'd struggle to name someone who could make uh, a positive change. But do you think that, aside from the players themselves, do you think a formation change is what's needed? I mean, do we have the players to play what was a 3-4-3 against a team like France away from home? A formation change at at that point. You're two 0 down to France. It, I think you've summed it up in your intro. It's golfing class. Stevens was getting roasted, and we brought on a League Two defender against one of the best teams in the world because that's all we've got. Now McLean, I saw the point before the game. McLean's only a League Two defender for the past whatever it is, five or six games. <laughs> so he's still a league above, if you know, in fitness terms. And I think he's even hinted after the second game, I think on his social media, that he's having to think of his future. I, I don't think any formation change or substitutions that we had on that bench would have made any difference. But I think we're, the reason we're resigned and we go on to talk about it, we're so deflated, is not because of the France game. It's results before that, the Greece game. Taking on its, to use a Johnny Giles, on its merits, we did as well as we were could have done in that game. In other words, we played we played the best we could in that game to limit them to two. We didn't underperform. We possibly overperformed to get that scoreline. I did listen to Vinnie Perch during the week on Off the Ball and what he said ahead of the Dutch game was was really interesting was the Stephen Kenny he knew that he coached alongside at Dundalk would have been braver. He mentioned a game where Dundalk were away at Zenit, St. Petersburg, and he's like, our players are not as good as their players. Internationals, Champions League, Russian internationals. But Stephen Kenny would have a go. And that was his disappointment from the France game. And I probably agree with that. I thought we responded well to the goal. Ogbené had a couple of chances. And Ogbené had the beating sometimes if he was a bit more selfish, which kind of repeated itself in the Dutch game. But 
on its, as a snapshot on its own, I thought the performance was as good as we could have gotten because of the golfing class. That's fair. Mick McCarthy possibly would say that I would have snapped your hand off for a 2 0 loss, but like you say, the damage, I think, to the the fan support, if you like, of the manager was probably done in the last international window. And I'm thinking especially here of the results in Athens. After that game, we were starting to use phrases like mathematically out of contention, uh, which to me is said by fans of teams in the Premier League in early May when you're five points behind the team in 17th with two games to go. Uh, you're not mathematically relegated, but yeah, you're relegated. Um I think we, yeah, we had accepted at that point that qualification for the Euros, at least through the group stage, was over. And I think the, the France game probably put paid to that. Now, three days later, the Dutch arrived in Aviva Stadium at the same location, but a different stadium from when their qualification chances for the 2002 World Cup were ended by Jason McAteer. And it's possibly gave us all a pause for thought of how the team's history have changed in the more than 20 years since that game. The game started about as well as you can expect any game to start. Uh, we created havoc in the Dutch penalty box almost straight from the kickoff and from the resulting corner the Dutch gave up a penalty which was dispatched with aplomb by Adam Ida as I think penalties can only be dispatched. But according to some websites that was our only shot on target in the whole of the 90 minutes. Some sites say two, some say one. I think the majority is kind of leaning towards one with a, another shot being registered as a block. Phil, for the first 20 minutes, that was one of the best games and best atmospheres I've ever experienced at Aviva Stadium. We might not have had a great chance, but we'd given ourselves a really good chance of getting a result. You know, how are you feeling, we'd say, right up until the Dutch equalised? It was a great start. The game plan worked. Like later we could see it was unsustainable, but we really got at them. And I think, like, I watch Liverpool a lot. It's amazing how bad Van Dijk is these days. And Ida just bullied him, bullied him so badly. Ida was brilliant. And even when we conceded the goal, I think there's always a risk, especially when you play Duffy because he likes to take a step back. You're always going to leave a bit of space. So, like, the goal wasn't surprising. Their equaliser wasn't surprising. What came in the second half was the most disappointing thing. But, like... For, for a starting game plan and how to start a game, that, that was absolutely perfect. It's what came after that was a bit of a disaster. I, I think very few, if any people, blame Gambazunu for the, the penalty. I think most people are looking at Matt Doherty's failed interception of a, a cross uh, that I think was actually going to go out anyway. So there was no need for him even to, to challenge for that ball. But the pass that split the entire defence was absolutely phenomenal and puts Dumfries clean through against Bazunu, who did everything that you're supposed to do as a goalkeeper, closing down, narrow the angles, but, you know, the skill of the player just meant that when he reached for the ball, he took the man instead. Possibly lucky just to get a, a yellow for that. James, I mean, at one all at half time, did you think that there was still a chance of us getting out of Aviva Stadium with a point from the boys in orange? First of all, I think we had chances to go two, even three up. And I mentioned that Ogbeni needed to be more selfish. It was the chance where he could have turned and shot and instead laid it off. I thought we started really well, but I have to—I mean, I have to say, just being totally honest, even when we want when we went one nil up, I just felt a resignation about the whole thing. When we went one nil up, I was just thinking. I messaged like my mates. I said like this is going to be torture for a whole other bunch of reasons. Whereas I thought the French game would be torture because we get tortured. Um, I was resigned. I didn't think we'd win. I just said right, we're one nil up, but the quality of our players, the standard that our players are at, I just knew we would get overrun again, and that's what came to pass. I don't know if I'm just kind of deflated and come across deflated, but. We definitely had chances. We had chances to like push it on, or it's the lack of quality, lack of quality, and the golf, golf again. Um, lack of quality on the bench, James, from the management team. Yeah, and a lack of ambition. I tweeted that this didn't look like a team that needed to win. Where was the urgency of a team that needed to win? I was watching it in an Irish bar here in London. There was a couple of lads beside me, and they were like, you know, they were going, "Come on, Ireland, come on, get in the box, come on." I'm just like. 
Well, getting in the box to get one goal. This is like late on. It's like, we need two goals. We, we don't even look like getting one, but we need two. And this doesn't look like a team that is capable. So I, I was resigned to us not getting anything, even at 1-0 up, because of everything that's gone before. I know we're going to talk about the management, but I was resigned because I was thinking these players are not good enough. That's what That was my overall feeling. We conceded after half time again, this time after 11 minutes after the second half whistle had blown. But it took another eight minutes before the manager made his first change, bringing on Ryan Manning for James McLean, which to me is kind of a one for one swap, bringing on a left wing back for a left wing back. Whereas the Dutch manager, Ron Koeman, had made two substitutions at half time, bringing on former Manchester United fan favourite, Wout Weghorst and Tiani. Reinders, I hope that's how it's pronounced, and also changing the formation to a, a straight 4-4-2. Mark, you know, we've talked before on the podcast about how slow the manager is to react to change in a game, and I think it cost us again here. Um, we didn't see any kind of change to the formation or tactics until the 73rd minute when Jamie McGrath and Will Smallbone came on for John Egan and Alan Brown. We were calling out for a cha- uh, any kind of change to be made, was it too little, too late? Oh, I think pretty much, but I think it really did show the kind of, like Ronald Koeman, look, he's an international manager. His club managerial career has been very up and down, but he made the hard calls at halftime, you know, taking the Denny Blint off. Would Stephen Kenny have done that in a similar situation, I suppose, would be kind of the key question here, because he was very ineffective, Danny Blint. To go four four two, I think... Yeah, there was kind of a period there that an adjustment should have been made. But again, really, players on the park here should have been really kind of really shouting for instructions here from the management. Because the first five, ten minutes again in that second half, we were kind of hanging on a little bit before the uh, Vekhorst goal. And I mean, the manner of the goal, again, guys, I mean, you know, it's a ball over the top now. All credit to Dumfries making the run, asking the question. But I mean, we're, we're exposed too easily again in the back here. Leghorst then gets a step on Duffy uh, for the goal. Like so, I don't know. It's um, it's just a recurring kind of team, unfortunately. We're seeing Kenny Keith Andrews there and have been the consistent backroom staff here. Can you say anything about John O'Shea here, Stephen Rice as well to a certain degree? But again, it's that kind of lack of adjustment. But again, it was ten minutes after half time. Maybe the players could have adjusted a little bit on the pitch as well here, Joe as well. I mean, it's all very easy kind of say about management not making changes, but I think. If you're Josh Cullen, where's the senior leaders in the team here really barking at the bench here about changes of formation as well? I think that has to be mentioned here as well. I think we're really screaming out for leaders here throughout the team here. And I think at vital times during the Stephen Kenny era, maybe players really haven't stepped on, on the pitch here. I think it's very easy to kind of make the blame on Stephen Kenny. Like he'd Andrews, I've always been critical of in terms of the backroom. But if you're on the pitch, you have to be making some decisions here and given a bit of a leadership, like just even to absorb it for five, ten minutes, we just haven't been able to do that for any key stages, like thinking about the Portugal game back in Faro and previous qualification campaign, stuff like that. We've just not learned our lessons, unfortunately, here. So, But yeah, look, going back to your question, you know, it's easy to say now, but I think at the time, you know, it's really fair play to the Netherlands, you know, they made the adjustments and uh, they got their game in and goal. For what it's worth, I, don't, I actually don't agree that Kenny's slow to make changes. But you can hammer me on that if you like. I think it's too easy to say the manager needs to make changes. I think Mark is right. I think I was glad Duffy was on the pitch to an extent because he does bring experience and leadership. And when he hasn't been there, I think there aren't leaders. You could easily blame him for both goals. The second goal was he took a step back. He played him. Oh, I do. I do blame Duffy for both goals. <laughs> I do blame him for both goals. But even de- even then, at least he has. You know, he was marshalling the defence in other... I've seen other games when he's not been there and I felt like Collins and Egan are maybe too young or, or don't have the confidence to step up and lead and to lead the team. Like, you know, you can, like Mark says, make in-game decisions. Let's keep it tight here. Let's keep it tight. Let's park the bus for the first 10 minutes of the second half because we know we concede. What's the message at halftime? What's Stephen Kenny gone in there now? He's They've gone in one all. They know they need to win. They've gone in at halftime. What's he saying in the dressing room that hasn't got through to those players? What's the message he's given? Because they've come out again and they've been useless. 
and the formations being changed by the opposition. It was mentioned on another pod that I was listening to. Keith Andrews has walked out and he's seen that the Dutch are bringing two players on and he's not gone to Stephen Kenny or him haven't gone, mm, maybe they're changing things. No, we'll just leave it the way it is and see how it I, plays out. I think that's far too simplistic. It's like they're bringing on two subs so we need to change our entire formation. I think it really... I think no, we're not, finding not change the formation. Way. But maybe just be aware that they might be doing something different. Yeah, but you, you can only see how the game pans out then. I mean, Stevens was getting roasted uh, and uh, gets replaced the first game. I know, look, he's he opens himself up to this criticism. I've seen a lot of people say the Dutch made the decisions at halftime and Kenny didn't react. The players didn't react. But you're, Phil, what by your extension, you're saying Kenny didn't give them any instructions at halftime or else he said, lads, go out, do what you're doing or go out and just get hockeyed. Every manager gives a half-time team talk, and then the players go out, and for whatever reason, we switch off all the time after half-time. I, I, look, he opens himself up to the criticism, and we're going in because this is what because we're nerds, we're going into minute detail. But is it on a basic level? Is his message just not getting through? Then, if he's saying something, for, let's take all the tactics out of it, okay? Let's. Forget formations and forget all that. They go in at halftime, they're one all. He says something basic like, okay, let's keep it tight for the next few minutes. And then they don't. Is his message not getting through maybe then? I don't know is the answer, Phil. I don't know. I don't know. And and my gut instinct would be the players are just not good enough. And he will fall on his sword because of that. There's but, teams around us that are similar to us that are winning games with I players... Agree. Like, there's teams of a similar calibre of player to us that are winning games. We can't be the only team in the world to say we don't have the players all the time. That's, it's, not, it's a cop-out. I think you said before, Phil, we can't change the players, but we can change the manager. The only choice we can make. <clears throat> like, if we look down through the stats, first of all, all I heard since the draw was the Dutch aren't great. That's all I heard of anybody. The Dutch aren't great. Coleman's not great. They're not brilliant now. We could get at them, no bother. So then they turn up and they beat us. And then if you look at the stats, nine shots, brilliant. 52% possession, we've more of the ball than them, perfect. We've more passes than them, we've the same pass accuracy as them, we've more corners. Brilliant, that's what everybody wants, but we lost. Well, I think you can see the potential there. I mean, the pressing game, I think, Joel, you alluded to at the start. I mean, it's phenomenal attack and pressing, like Ida was leading from the front, Jason Knight as well, Obene. Like, I mean, Thomas Frank, the Brentford manager, must have had a canary looking at Mark Flecken. Like, no, literally, this is a guy apparently noted for passing out from the back. I mean, I'd say that could have been a very interesting debrief in Brentford uh, this week after that game because Flecken looked completely unnerved here. And, I mean, Van Dyke was having an awful lot of problems with Ida as well and Delit as well. As James said, we could have been too... If the second goal had gone in, now... I'm talking hypotheticals here. If the second goal had gone in, it would have been very interesting to see what the Netherlands' reaction would have been. Because you've seen the reaction of the Netherlands team, particularly against France when they went 2-0 down early. Hates dropped immediately. So, I mean, it's just international football, I'm afraid. We had our moments there, particularly in that first 15, 20 minutes. And even, you know, the Obeni chance, I think, the block. You know, either basically um, uh, sets up Obeni. Look, if it goes to... Second goal here could have been a different story altogether, but I think the legs legs were a bit of an issue here for Maryland. I mean, they expended so much energy in that opening half as well, and I think all credit to Young here. I mean, he was uh, you know pretty clinical on the equalising goal here, but I mean, Siemens was having a bit of a mixed game, but he was getting a little bit more space. So look, I don't think you can kind of really say much in terms the work rate's beyond reproach here for Maryland, but I think it's just a few things here, particularly who's that midfielder who's going to unleash the ball like De Jong here or look to maybe kind of put a ball in behind or try to vary things out a little bit. Do we have that player in midfield, I would say, for the game plan that Stephen Kenny is trying to deploy and adapt? We probably don't have it at the moment, but it is what it is. Just to go back to to James' point about the the tactics and the formation and change of formations, I remember Martin O'Neill's game against Denmark when he made a load of changes. And he got absolutely, the team got butchered. The team got, like, he basically emptied their midfield and the Danish scored how many in the second half? So, like, it's easy to say, oh, you can't change a formation in the middle of the game or whatever, but that's, that's the manager's job. That's what he has to do. It can work one of two ways. It can either go to shit or it can, it can help. 
And I think the problem with Kenny is, and James, you mentioned that listening to Vinnie Perth the last day and how he, he was a lot braver when he was managing in the League of Ireland. I think the problem with Kenny for the last, I'd say nearly a year and a half, is that he's nearly a hand-to-mouth manager. He needs the next result all the time because things haven't gone right for him in games we were maybe supposedly should have been winning. That could be one of the reasons he's nearly afraid to try different things because he's afraid that he'll get slated for it. But that's I agree, Phil. I actually it's, think he's he's he's, he's lost confidence. Yeah, absolutely. But it's 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 partly down to not maybe doing the basics and winning games he should have, like the Luxembourg game, say. Like he's he's maybe eroded his time a bit quicker than he than he would have liked, and we've said it now we've said it for the last year and a half. He's going into games and he's he he has you know it's like geez he really needs a result here. Like it's been like that in this group. It was like that in the Last Nations League group as well, and that's probably that's probably knocked him a bit as well. That's why I said I was resigned at the yeah you know, when we went one nil up because I didn't think we'd win the combination of he's the manager who cannot get us to win I can't get these players to win and I didn't think we'd win even when we were one up it's is it strange to you that we've gone one nil up and he maybe even he maybe just hasn't said right let's just sit back for a while and see what these have got and let's just Let's just cool the brakes here and let them come on to us a bit and maybe see. We've got a Benny, we've got Ida, let's see what we can do. He doesn't, he's, he's never really done it like. He's never parked the bus. It's not his philosophy. And in some ways you admire him for that. And a lot of people go, we should park the bus. Be pragmatic. Every team is playing this way, trying to keep possession. If it doesn't suit, it, don't, it doesn't suit this quality of player. And that's where his naivety probably comes in. Yeah, he's trying to get, and you know, if he had turned half of those losses into draws, some of those draws into wins, everyone would still be supporting him because they like the way he's trying to play. Absolutely, like Mark, you mentioned, have we got that ball in midfield? We don't. We never have under Kenny. Like he's tried so many players there. Originally, we thought it might be Knight, and then we thought he's tried Sykes, he's tried McGrath. He's tried Hendrick there, but we just don't have that player who's going to unlock a defence, play a key pass. And the fact that he hasn't realised that yet is probably another another nail in the coffin for him because like, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And we are trying to do the same thing every game and we're trying to play with the ball through the midfield, but it's it's been a problem position for us. And when you have someone like either or Benny who are fast and powerful, maybe switching it up is necessary, as we said. And he hasn't done it. And it's, it's going to cost him as well. Is the problem so maybe a bit simpler than he doesn't have the players and it's that he doesn't have the player? Like, we haven't produced a truly world-class player in a long time, you know, but we don't have... If we had someone like Zlatan or... Maybe not even someone at that kind of level, but when you think that countries like Armenia are able to produce players like Mkhitaryan, who played for Arsenal and Manchester United, and we haven't had anyone who's played for either club in a long time, or even, you know, Alaba for uh, for Austria, who would be an absolute fulcrum of our team, but was, you know, the rightful at Bayern. It was something I said to to my friend while we were watching the, the French game, they brought Kingsley Coleman on as a substitute. We'd build a team around a player like that. Yeah. Well, that is definitely the case. And I think what Phil says is true. We've tried all these players, but we've tried all these players because we've had to. Because injuries and players not playing at their clubs, we've had to try different people in that position. And, you know, like, Colin and Malumbi have been brilliant in games. So then you put them in in the next game, they're fucking shocking. Like, there's no way, uh, there's no calculating that. You can't plan for that. That one play, a player is excellent, really does what you want him to do, and then the next game, fucking useless. Like Colin giving that ball away with the French goal. Like you can't legislate for that. And Darty was very poor against the Dutch as well. It's so frustrating, but he's had no luck. But he cannot get them to win. And 
he will fall on the basis of that. And the next, the question which you might go on to is, who comes next? I haven't a bull's notion. James, you mentioned uh, Jason Malumbi there. I thought it was strange that he got dropped for the Dutch game because looking at the stats for the, the French game, he actually completed more passes than anyone else. You know, when you're thinking this is a game where we need to retain possession, it's a game where we need to, to hold on to the ball. He took Brown off the right wing and moved him into centre midfield. Like I thought Brown did play well, but it's still, I don't know if it was, if he played well enough to justify dropping Malumbi. Uh, look, hindsight is 2020, and I think even more so in football. Darty has played well for the manager. Um, he couldn't play against France because he was suspended and he was brought in fresh to play against the Dutch. But unfortunately, his the failed interception is what led to the, the Dutch equaliser. But like I said, hindsight is always twenty twenty in these these situations. And I think that's the scenario here, Joe, as well. Like Matt Doherty, James, you've correctly pointed out, like he's not playing regular first team football. You know, it's very difficult for a guy to just come into international stage. It's another step up from professional club saying did as well as he could given the circumstances. But I think that's the position where Stephen Kenny's in at the moment. I mean, probably the options he's kind of considers being quite limited, so but um I don't know, guys, in terms of even centre midfield, like even the under-21s playing at the moment. I mean, may have high hopes for the likes of Andrew Moore and guys like that, who could be that telling midfielder that can hit that killer pass in behind. Uh, but again, that's going to be a long-term project, obviously. And I do I do see some people online, and I mean, the support, we mentioned it just before we came on, the support is so fractured in terms of like what people want next, but there are some people just saying, Give it more time. Give these these players are coming. They're getting experience. They're getting into their club teams. I mean, it is better than it was. The under twenty ones. The players are coming. Give it more time. Some are saying give it more time with Kenny. That's a you know. Others will say he's had far too much time. We're probably a bit better than we were a couple of years ago, and because we have blooded these players, and they do seem to be coming, we do have an Evan Ferguson now, we we do have, the under-21s look exciting, We're, it does look like we have a crop coming through, and we've said many times on this podcast that Kenny will probably, his service will be that he brought them through, but he's not the man to take them on. Do you think that we've reached peak Stephen Kenny, like what he's done so far is as much as he's ever going to do as Ireland manager. That he's, uh, you know, he doesn't know how to win, or he doesn't know how to win, or he doesn't doesn't know how to win games regularly, or he doesn't know how to get consistent performances out of the team. There's been peaks in performances, but they've often been followed by troughs. I mean, we always go back to the the Serbia game, which was followed up by Luxembourg. You know, there's Portugal away was followed up by Azerbaijan at home. My honest opinion is my 41 years on the planet is if you stuck with him it would eventually come good but football doesn't work like that he's not a good enough coach he's lost the support of the majority of people who really wanted him to succeed and i probably include myself in that he can't get them to win so we can change as we said before we can't change the players but we can change him if Stephen Kenny hadn't come from the League of Ireland, if he was Stephen Allardyce, yeah. right, he would have been fucked out the door last year. That is a fact. He would be gone. There's no argument there. He would be gone. If he wasn't a League of Ireland manager and he wasn't Irish, he'd be gone last year. A part but, of me wants to say, what's wrong with that, Phil? Like, what's wrong with that? Give him the chance because he's an Irish man who came through the League of Ireland. And that's part of, not all of me, part of me, and part, a big part of me that wanted him to succeed was exactly that reason. All the arguments I see for keeping Stephen Kenny are, none of them are to do with the football on the pitch. They're, he's brought all these players through, right? Argument number one. I went back and I looked at the, his first game against Bulgaria. And I counted 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 players there that he's used in the last three games, all started his first game. So he hasn't actually brought through that many players, really, when you think about it. 
they were all involved in his first game. So that's argument number one. Yeah, but he brought them through in his first game. No, what I'm saying to you is all the all the players supposedly he's brought through. He used 15 players in his first game that he he's used in the last three games. Yeah, Phil, he's he's given like Bazunu was in the team at 18. Doherty, was in it. Stevens, Hendrick, Ododa, Ida. Yeah, but he had to play Raff. them this time. Exactly, this is the thing. Players retire, players get older, player gets injured. He has to bring he has to bring new players through. Every manager has to. He can't keep picking Glenn Whelan. You know, so I think there's too much credit. The last manager would have. Martin O'Neill played him when he was still at, was it Fleetwood Town? Or, well, Stephen Kenny's playing a man at Wrexham. Yeah. So, there you go. Like, so he's brought the players through. The second argument is, who would you get? Or who would you get? This is the argument. Oh, well, sure, who would you get? Not thinking of someone you could bring in is not a reason to keep a manager on in his job. That's not a good reason. There's always someone out there that can do a better job. Everyone's replaceable. So I There's haven't bigger... any football and reasons. I like, disagree slightly, Phil. I think a lot of people do want to keep him because of the football they're playing. And you, you've, well, like Martin O'Neill has had a pop at him this week and the backlash against O'Neill has been huge because people say they like the way Kenny is trying to play. And I think not having a replacement is a big consideration because there's a bigger question about our structures and our underage teams and if the manager of the senior team should be plugging into that. I think it's a 50-50 argument. I think in some ways all Ireland, all the Irish senior team needs is a motivator, someone who can come in and motivate for seven or eight games a year and doesn't need to coach them. He just needs to pick a team get them fired up, work on defence in the small windows that they have. There's an argument for that. And That's basically that what O'Neill did. That is what O'Neill did. That's what That's the Trapatonis did. That's, That's what we did before here. But this is the other argument. You're, oh, well, like, Irish football's fucked. This is the problem. Like, oh, what's he meant to do? Irish problem. Uh, Irish football's fucked from the ground up. Like, there's no money. The youth play- isn't coming through. The players aren't there. There's no money for... For pitches, there's no money for development. That has nothing to do with the senior manager's job. Nothing. The senior manager's job is to win games and qualify the team for tournaments. Everything else. But it's the, everything else. But it's the reason the players aren't up to it. But that's it's the reason the players aren't up to it. It is the reason, but it's not the reason. It's it's not the senior manager's job to sort all that out. So when you're looking at it, when you're looking at a new a new manager, you're not going. Well, what are we going to do about grassroots football and Galway? Like, it's his, his job is to win games, to qualify for tournaments. If you put down a parameter saying we'd like you to play a certain side of football that is running through the youth teams, well then of course. That's what you go for. And that's what they went for with Kenny. But like this argument about football being fucked and all that, it's nothing to do with the senior manager's job. But that's what other countries do. The next, like a big argument now is that a lot of people are saying the FAI will only choose someone now who stays plugged into that underage structure. But that's, that's right. That's what they're saying. But they're right to do that. But that's the style of football. It stops at the style. The, the senior manager... Which should play the same style. They should play the same style the whole way up. Bear that. That's as far as you go with it. Like, it doesn't get any deeper. Yeah, possibly. James, I think what you're actually describing there is closer to a director of football and not a, a senior manager. You know, someone yeah. who has, uh, has a, a vision uh, for the, the football. And we have team. one of them now. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... We'll see how much of a difference that makes, but it could, it can take 10 years. I mean, uh, if we put in the absolutely 100% perfect guaranteed structure to bring someone from under 10s to the senior team, it takes 10 years for that 10 year old to turn 20 and play senior international football. I don't want to be here in 10 years saying I should have appointed a director of football instead of a new manager. I mean, it's, we've been trying to get this right, I think, since Brian Kerr was first appointed and we haven't been able to do it. Phil mentioned the list of players that were on Kenny's first game in charge and how many of them are still part of the, the setup. I mean, what 
in the stadium, what struck me was that we finished the game with Shane Duffy pushed up front, which is how we finished that first game against Bulgaria. And you know, he scored the equaliser in the last minute. It's It's been a little over three years since his first game in charge. And he's this is still his go-to tactic. Look, better teams in Ireland would push the big man up front to try and nick a goal late in the game. But it doesn't look like he has, in, in the three years that he's been in charge, he's been able to come up with anything different. After the full-time whistle was blown, there was a couple of boos. I mean, I've heard louder boos at other games. But what struck me was that there was an air of uh, acceptance, like you said yourself, that even when we were leading, you didn't think we were going to get anything out of the game. And I think that was the emotion, the overriding emotion that I took away from the crowd at the end of the game, that it was just a case of, well, this is just where we are. I, I think there's an uh, intelligence of the fans that it's a combination of the quality of players and the manager can't get results when you put that together. So you don't know you don't know who to blame and then you end up booing nobody. You just accept it. So to repeat, we can't change the players, but we can we can change the coach. Would you give uh, guys would you give Stephen Kenny until the end of the qualification campaign or if you were Mr Johnson Hill at the moment and you know, all we're hearing is the Thursday press announcement. Yeah. Do you give Stephen Kenny until the end of the qualification campaign here? I think when Stephen Kenny was appointed the under twenty one manager with as Mick McCarthy as as senior manager People thought it was a bit bizarre, but I don't think too many people disagreed with it. And, you know, it was felt that, okay, there's an actual plan in place here, a plan for succession. And it, like Kenny, with what he had done with Dundalk at the time, taking them, winning, winning domestic titles and taking them into Europe, was probably the standout candidate. But maybe he just needed that spell with the under-21s to get used to international football, which is a step up from League of Ireland football. Uh, I don't think that's uh, up for debate. But right now, I don't think there's a standout candidate. A lot of people are saying Lee Carsley. Maybe he might not be interested in the job. He could be quite happy to uh, stick with the England under-21s. After that, some people were saying Benitez. I don't think he's going to walk away from Celta Vigo to take over the, the national team. Some people were saying Claudio Ranieri. He's got an emotional attachment to, to Cagliari. He's not going to leave them. I, I don't know who the outstanding candidate is, really. I, I think that comes back to Phil's discussion as well. Is It's fun for the media to talk about exotic names, like Ranieri and Benita is coming to Ireland and we have Trapatoni Mark II. But there is a shift in the mindset of some media and some fans about, is that what Irish football needs? This glamorous name to come in who is not going to have any involvement in the underage and the League of Ireland and and there's an argument to say he doesn't need to like I said maybe we just need a motivator because as Brian Kerr said the senior team drives the whole thing but there is a shift in the conversation of people saying that's not what Irish football needs that it needs to be structured and then I think I said it on the last podcast you're possibly looking at a Stephen Bradley or a John O'Shea or a Jim Crawford, which is, or Damien Duff, which is a Stephen Kenny Mark II. Someone who came through, with the exception of O'Shea, who's come through Ireland. And then you'll have all the same arguments again. He's out, he's decked, he's not up to it. It's a big conversation and it's a big shift in the mentality of the Irish footballing community if you want to say when Stephen Kenny got the job I haven't really seen as much support from the Irish fan base as he's got and that like especially for because of what he was going to try and do like he was coming in on the remit that he was going to bring all these players in and he was going to try and play good football attractive football and that's what he tried to do he has absolutely and I think the appetite's still there I think the majority of people who want Stephen Kenny to be relieved of his position still basically just believe one thing. Someone can do what he's doing, but better. It's that simple. The same type of manager, the same type of principles, the same style of football, but better. I don't think 
there's a big cry out for people going back to caveman football or bringing in a big name. I certainly haven't heard it. Obviously, with the media, you're going to get certain people because it's just it's it's easy clickbait. You know, Sam Allardyce, Terry Venables, all these the usuals. You know, from 20 years ago, the goodwill is still there for Irish football to keep on the path of not like just play absolute donkey football. And I just think people think there's someone out there who can do it better than Stephen Kenny. Who is it? We don't know. There, there is obviously people out there. It's up to the FAI to draw up a shortlist and to see can they get someone. But I don't think they're going to change the style of manager or the style of play drastically in the next appointment. I just can't see it. People don't want it. There's no appetite for it. Yeah. And on the question of do you release Stephen Kenny before his contract finishes, I think it's up to the FAI to draw up a shortlist because they're obviously going to replace them. Draw up a shortlist, and if one of their top two targets is available, then you have to go get them. If they're not, well, then maybe proceed with Kenny until the end of end of the year and see what happens then. Brian Kerr's contract wasn't renewed at the end of the qualifying campaign for the 2006 European Championships. And it took, so his last game was October 2005 against Switzerland. And it took a little more than 15 years before another manager with a League of Ireland background was able to take his position as manager of the national side when Stephen Kenny was manager in that game against Bulgaria uh, in 2020. I think for another League of Ireland manager to become a viable candidate for the national job, they're going to have to improve on Kenny's record, not only in the League of Ireland, but also in Europe. So we could be talking about the first League of Ireland manager to manage a League of Ireland club in the Champions League before they become a viable candidate for the national job. Possibly. But the other thing we haven't mentioned when discussing Stephen Kenny's appointment and and maybe his successor's appointment is a lot of it's down to financials as well. Like, the tap was turned off when Mick McCarthy came back. There was, you know, who who was it again that was paying Trapatoni's wages and on his? Dennis O'Brien. The tap was turned off. The tap was turned off. Is the money there to attract a big name? Was it there to attract a big name before Stephen Kenny got the job? Probably not. So you have to look. They weren't, paying, they weren't paying stupid money though, Phil. It was a Del Bosque at Spain was on something like a hundred grand and won the World Cup. Yeah. You were paying Trapattoni a million but, or something. But when you're a smaller team like Ireland, this is this is obviously what they had to do to attract a big name. Now, when you go to look for a new manager, the mo- the money probably isn't there again to attract a top name like. It's probably not. But there are pros. You have someone like Evan Ferguson and other players coming through that like have huge potential but like it's, it's going to come down to financials as well who they get so yeah I don't know and the, there's a big onus on that director of football because we talked about what the job description if in, in quotation marks the next manager you're going to play decent football we don't want long ball football you're going to be connected to the underage teams like the onus is on the FAI to act like a modern-day football association, which apparently they now are. Yeah, we, do, we have no choice but to trust them to make the decision. Like, they've put Jim Crawford in. He has great ties with Stephen Kenny. You know, they've, they've, there's obviously been a, a good working relationship there. We've seen Connolly drop down to the under-21s, play a couple of games, come back into the senior team. So... Whoever comes in will have to have that same working relationship all the way down through to the 17s, 16s. So the FAI are acting like a proper organisation at the moment. Will they do it for the next appointment? You'd, you'd hope so. Because I, I think if, if you just take a look at, you know, if you take a look on the socials, if you ask any fans, as you said, James, no one wants to, no one wants bog ball. Like. I don't think anybody wants bog ball. I think the Charlton era still has a bit of a romantic attachment to it, even though some of the football might not have been the most pleasing on the eye. Uh, but the, I think what gets overlooked a lot about that at that time was that we had far superior players to what we have now who could play that brand of football, but also were used to grinding out results, were used to lifting titles at the end of the season. 
and getting wins by any means necessary. And I don't know if any of the current uh, squad are capable of that. The ideal candidate might not exist, and the ideal candidate could be quite happily working in another another job right now. That's probably why I'm not an international football manager headhunter. I can't come up with a, a good answer for who should take over for the current manager. Uh, I do want to say that it does feel a bit ghoulish to be discussing the next manager while the current manager is still in a job. Like I have a lot of time for Stephen Kenny and I admire what he has done and what he's tried to do over the last three years. But especially uh, after watching that post-match interview with uh, Tony Donoghue after the the game against the Netherlands, it was just obvious that this job has, has broken him a little bit. And look, I hope that he takes the time that he whatever time he needs to to recover mentally from it. Football management is stressful. I'm not sure if any of us who have never been football managers really appreciate how stressful it is. And Kenny has never been great in interviews. He's not a great public speaker, but he just, he looked absolutely broken in that interview on, uh, on Sunday night. And, you know, when they cut back to the studio, Rich, uh, Richie Sadler said he found that very uncomfortable and I think we should remember that Richie Sadler is a trained psychotherapist so he was probably a bit more tuned in to what Stephen Kenny is going through than any of us. Yeah I'd agree with you there Joe particularly football management because as you said during this podcast he's always been chasing that result hasn't he to kind of just get a step ahead to build a bit of a foundation. Probably might have had that you know during that Nations League game that we were all at against Scotland. You know, I thought that was the foundation, but it never really built on. And I think the France Netherlands, like in fairness, it's it's a horrible group. Uh, to be perfectly fair, um, but yeah, look, that interview on Sunday, look, he was struggling for answers, and I think probably more disillusionment just in terms of how that opening half went. They were well competitive, uh, could have had easily two goals, whatever. But for Stephen Kenny, look, I think the fact of the matter is himself and the FEI board really need to be pragmatic here, just really kind of set the future, because I think the body of work here is indicating that the contract doesn't get renewed. But I think Stephen Kenny, I think agree, I think you might agree, lads, is someone that should be an asset to the FAI in terms of grassroots structures and making sure that our domestic structures from a regional uh, league, domestic league perspective, are kind of running a bit better than they are. Um, so, look, I would hope that he would be retained within the organisation in some sort of announcement or reorganization or realignment of some sort but yeah look to be honest with you Joe that Sunday interview was just yeah it was fairly traumatic viewing really and to be perfectly honest I think everything from the last three years really came on that interview he struggled for answers and look I think it's just the body of work it's just he's just been very unlucky he's been jinxed in certain sections of this era but again players wise not good enough but also managerial maybe switches stuff like that hasn't hasn't been good either you know and the approach post Anthony Barry as well probably is something of a question mark on his era as well it's, I agree with all that Mark it's just been a step up from too, it's a step too big from like that's what it is and that's just the way it is I would like to think as you said that like I can't like he's obviously going to be relieved and He's not going to stay within the FAI straight away because I would imagine it would be too painful for him, which is totally understandable. But I would like to think they won't make the same mistake that they did with Brian Kerr because obviously we know Brian Kerr, he can be quite bitter at times, but we've all sat there for a few years saying, Brian Kerr, how was he not involved with huge structures or with some sort of football development side of the Irish game? But I would like to think the door will always be open for Stephen Kenny for that side of things maybe not now but maybe in a few years time to go back in because his vision is there his vision is right the way he tries to play football is right he just hasn't been able to do it with this team that's fine but you'd like to think he would be back involved in Irish football in some capacity in, in the future yeah. Joe also in terms of the, the candidate shortlist I think we have to be very conscious of the fact here that the FBI board haven't really set the world alight in recent weeks in terms of their treatment of Europol. I think an awful lot of world football is probably looking at that decision and 
how they basically dragged that decision on. Is the manager going to come in here with that reassurance that they can basically set the foundations or set the ethos that they are looking for? And I think for Jonathan Hill and the FAI board, this Thursday press release conference appearance can't come soon enough because no prospective candidate is going to walk through Abbottstown doors here and really commit to this job given the current circumstances. So I feel that Stephen Kenny is going to really last the rest of the year because I think certain managerial candidates that they might be interested in probably have reservations about committing to the FAI. Uh, what do you think about that, guys? Yeah, po- very possible. Very possible. Like they haven't covered themselves in glory, really, have they? It's that transparency. It's that culture, that open mindset that fans have demanded of the FAI since John Delaney days. It came back again a few weeks ago with that Vera Powell contract negotiation. We're back to the old boardroom kind of wrangle here. The PR, look, we've no corporate sponsorship for the men's team here. So I think this is our organisation still very much in its infancy. And I think the managerial candidates, you know, that we would like, you know, the ethos of Stephen Kenny to be implemented here. I think there's quite a few candidates going to be very much looking away from the FAI and this Ireland job, just given the current climate and given the way the organisation is being run currently. So I think Thursday, uh, which is September 14th, I think is a key day for the FAI here to really put their positive foot forward because otherwise... I think the Stephen Kenny contract wrangle could go Vera Powell part two, I think. Yeah, look, I wanted to talk about uh, Vera Powell's contract and, you know, with the first game for the women's team in the Viva Stadium coming up, you know, we can keep it for a, a later episode. I think that the what influenced the decision was that in the before the 2002 World Cup and before Euro 2012, the FBI awarded contracts to managers that lasted, you know, long after the tournament itself. And what they should have done and what they did with Vera Pau was wait until the tournament was over before the discussion on a new contract began. And the article that came out right before the tournament started from The Athletic didn't help. I don't want to say that the refusal of players to back the manager, but I think the lack of public support from the players for the manager might have forced her hand a little bit. Um, but we can discuss that um, in maybe in the next episode. I think that's worth its own episode, but I suppose long and short of it is it feels to me that the manager and the FBI board were pulled apart here in terms of directions. Uh, I think the decision could have been made far sooner for Vera Powell and for the Irish women's soccer team. I mean, I think Gleason comes in, very capable coach to deputise for the Northern Ireland game, which is a huge game the inaugural Nations League game in the Aviva Stadium, a local derby game. Northern Ireland to have coming in with a good run of form, looking to basically cause, well, I suppose, an upset, really, because Republic of Ireland being in the World Cup. So I think it has caused instability here, Joe, but yeah, certainly we can talk about this in a future episode. It'll be interesting. Before we finish up, James, I think we all remember what you said the last time we had you on the show. guarantee you Colin gets sold before the start of the season and he's played at the championship and if he doesn't I'll do a forfeit for you and the next time I'm on guarantee okay. you he gets sold okay I'll remember that one not involving uh, nudity so are you prepared to accept your forfeit I am prepared to accept it I, I'll say I'm uh, pleasantly pleased that that uh, Cullen has stayed at Burnley and I, I just reiterate what I said earlier that we are in better shape than we were a number of years ago we do have players coming through at different levels we see the under 21s as well uh, we do have players coming through and Cullen staying in the Premier League is a uh, I'm glad to ex- I gladly accept the forfeit although I haven't heard what it is yet <laughs> Don't worry it's not going to be too troubling or too uh, it's not going to cause you too much harm. But what we okay. want you to what we want you to do is to tweet uh, or post on Instagram a single photo of Sam Allardyce and just say include the the line uh, the only man for the job and <laughs> sit back and see. You. <laughs> Pull the pen and walk away. Yeah. yeah. Now hopefully now, this episode won't have gone out by the time you've done that, but. 
I think we should, we can all sit back and just watch the replies roll in. Well, I'll I'll put it to you. I'll gladly watch what replies come in, and it'll be really interesting to see how many people agree with it. That could be interesting too. Very yeah, very, true, very interesting. Very true. Could be really depressing. <laughs> yeah, the biggest forfeit is I have to tell my brother or not tell him, and he'd be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> I will do it. I'll give it. A, I will do. It. I'll leave it up for a fair little while as well. I leave that in your very capable hands. I'll, I'll say this, ex League of Ireland, Limerick FC, Limerick FC, exactly. Player who was once deemed good enough to manage England. Hundred percent record, win record. So uh, he does have some credentials. Yep. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion. Uh, on the two games that Ireland played in September against France and against the Netherlands uh, and on the what it means for the future of the Ireland manager. Uh, I want to thank Mark, Phil and James for joining me uh, on the episode. As, as always, it was great to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, guys. Great debate anyway. And let's see how the next few weeks uh, goes for Stephen Kenny and Republic of Ireland. Yeah, thanks, lads. Yeah, great to join you again, lads. Uh, great debate as always, so speak again soon. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. Uh, we're looking forward to the women's team's first game at Aviva Stadium in two weeks' time, and uh, we'll talk to you then, okay? Take care. Bye.